It's good to be here this morning. I always appreciate any opportunity I have to minister the Word of God. It's been a while since I've been up here, maybe a year or so, just been such a busy season of life. But uh, I always find that just through the process of studying and preparing, um, I'm blessed just by God's Word and, and how He's able to use it to edify me and speak to me. Uh, even in the preparation process. And so I'm grateful for that reason uh, to be here this morning, just that God has used this passage uh, to, to help me personally. And my hope this morning is that he will use it to help you as well. Uh, as Matt just read, we're in James chapter 1 uh, this morning. And if you know anything about the first chapter of James, you know that the context of James 1 is all about trials and tribulations. It's about suffering, and, and, and not just trials and tribulations uh, in general, but trials and tribulations that Christians will go through. It's, it's aimed at believers, which might be a, a, a tough pill to swallow for some because it means that even as Christians, we will go through difficult seasons in this life. We will face uh, trials and tribulations, and that's one of the great, uh, I think, Questions that Christians have is, why does God still allow his children to go through the tough stuff, right? I mean, I'm, shouldn't I have his favor? I've come to him and I've put my faith in him. I've done what he's asked. Why does he still allow things to go wrong uh, in our lives? Why does he still allow us to experience heartache and, and, and pain? It doesn't help that there's a, a popular doctrine out there, a school of thought, false doctrine, I should say, uh, called the prosperity gospel that actually teaches that, that when we're living for the Lord and when we come to God, that, that if we really have the faith that he desires us to have, we, we won't experience trials, that we'll, we'll be wealthy and, and, and healthy and, and everything in our lives will go the right way and we'll be prosperous and God will give us uh, abundant favor in this life, in this world. And, and, but we know you, you know, you don't have to live long to know that, that that's not true, that even believers experience difficult seasons in life, Christians and, and non-Christians alike. I mean, if, if the prosperity gospel is true, how would you make sense of, of lives like the Apostle Paul, who suffered tremendously for the Lord, yet were, were living for him with all of his might? What about Jesus? I mean, it just doesn't make sense of the, the models the, of faith that we have in Scripture. So when we suffer... We're often struggling still, though, to, to wonder why. What is God's purpose in our suffering? What is he doing in the midst of difficult seasons of our lives? And what we'll find from our text this morning is that one of God's purposes in suffering and in trials is to teach us wisdom. It's not the only purpose. God can be glorified in our trials in, in many ways and often has purposes we don't understand. But one of the things that God uses trials and, and difficult seasons to do is to teach us wisdom. Prior to our passage in verse 5, James says this, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproaching and it will be given him. And so he's saying, in the midst of trials, <clears throat> we ought to be asking for wisdom and that God is faithful. He will give wisdom to us in the midst of our trials. Much of the wisdom that we glean in this life, I would even say most of the wisdom that we glean in this life comes by way of trials. And why is that? Why does it happen that way? Well, 
oftentimes it's because we don't know how much we don't know until we start going through trials. Oftentimes we don't realize how foolish we really are until we start going through difficult circumstances that we don't know how to navigate, and it's only then that we cry out and say, God, I need your wisdom. Lord, I'm more foolish than I ever thought. I need you to help me here. And Scripture tells us that God grants that wisdom, that we grow wise through our trials. This is why you can go through something in life and it just be crushing, just debilitating, and then go through the same thing later in life, and it's just not as bad. Why? Why? Because we've learned wisdom through what we've gone through. It's why we can go through something that's profoundly difficult, and then later in life, someone else is going through the same thing, and we can help them, we can encourage them, we can minister to them. Why? Because we've grown wise through our trial, and we can share that wisdom with others. And so one of God's purposes in our trials is to make us wise and that we might use that wisdom in future suffering and that we might use that wisdom to help others who go through the same thing. So God wants us to be equipped with wisdom and all that means is that he wants us to have the right spiritual understanding and perspective to endure our trial with faith and steadfastness. He doesn't want us to be like the double-minded man earlier in, chapter, uh, in, chap- in this chapter who is unstable, who is tossed around to and fro by his tumultuous circumstances. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt like that in seasons of trial, but I definitely have. Our trial gets the best of us, and it's like we're up one day, we're down the next, we're here, we're over there, and, and, and we just don't quite know how to be steadfast in the midst of our suffering. It's like an emotional roller coaster the entire time. And so what our text this morning does is it gives us godly wisdom about how we should be thinking in the midst of trials. It gives us a perspective that will help us to remain steadfast, hopeful, regardless of what we face. And what is this this piece of godly wisdom? It's simply this that we must learn to view our trials through the lens of God's glorious grace. We must learn to view our trials through the lens of God's glorious grace. What does that that mean? It's kind of a mouthful, right? It means that first we've experienced his grace in our lives through Christ, but that his grace has so pervaded our spirit that it affects the way we see everything, including our trials. And so we're going to look at how that happens and how our text helps us to do just that. First, James starts by talking about two types of trials. Let's look at our passage again. Verses 9 and 10 say this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. So James says there's two types of groups here. There is the lowly and the rich, and they are experiencing two very different kinds of trials. You see, the lowly, and your translation may say poor, are those who are experiencing what we would call a trial of poverty. But you also have the rich, and they're experiencing a trial as well, believe it or not. They are experiencing what we would call a trial of plenty. And so we're going to dig into these two just a little bit and see what they're both really all about. 
First, you have the trial of poverty. This is the lowly brother. Now, I I like that the ESV uses the term lowly brother because, you know, the word poor is used in a a lot of translations, but in American English, we tend to think of poor uh, simply in terms of material wealth, lacking material wealth. But the ESV says lowly brother because it's a much more holistic sense of, of, of need than just lacking material wealth. It could be someone who's emotionally poor, meaning they're, they're brokenhearted or just emotionally overwhelmed or spent. Someone who's relationally poor. They've, they've lost a, a loved one or experienced a broken relationship. Someone who has uh, poor health. Someone who's just circumstantially poor, weathering a difficult circumstance in life or it just feels like the, the current of this life is rushing against us. Trials of of poverty are what we usually think of when we think of trials. It's when we don't have something that we wish we had, or we've been given something that we wish we didn't have. Most of us will go through seasons like this more than once in this life. And so what are trials of plenty? Some of you might be thinking even that, that phrase is kind of an oxymoron. I mean, if there's plenty, then what's the trial? You know, there's an old Puritan saying that the hardest trial is no trial at all. The hardest trial is no trial at all. See, it's when we're well supplied. When we have an overabundance of of wealth or status or fame or power, when our material needs and emotional needs are met and there's no real obvious area of lack in our lives, it is then that we become most tempted to be proud or self-dependent, or egotistical, materialistic. It's in seasons like this that we often end up not even perceiving our need for God anymore. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, before Israel comes into the, the promised land, Moses warns the Israelites of this very type of trial. See, God had brought them out of Egypt and provided for them and taken them through a very difficult season. And Moses says, You're about to enter a new season. You're going to enter a land without scarcity. You will lack nothing. You shall eat and be full. Your your material needs will be provided for, and you're going to enter a season of where you are prosperous and at peace with those around you. And he concludes with this warning after he tells them that. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. By not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes which I command you this day, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. He's saying, don't let your success, your prosperity, the blessings of God even, to lead you into thinking and living as if there is no God, into thinking and living as if you've achieved these things apart from God's grace, 
Don't let it lead you into thinking and living as if you're just a little bit better than those who don't have such things. Moses is essentially saying, you need to view even your season of blessing in light of God's glorious grace. Meaning never forget all that he's done for you, all that he's promised you. That it's all of grace. He reminds them that they were oppressed and poor, had nothing to offer God, yet God brought them out of the land of Egypt through the desert, protected them, provided for them, was bringing them into a glorious inheritance. All of grace. They couldn't take any credit for it. And Moses says, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. And what we find this morning is that James' instruction to us is essentially the same. That whether we're experiencing trials of poverty or plenty, it's critical that we learn to see our trial through the lens of God's grace. Let's look at our text again in verse 9 a little more closely. It says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. It's an interesting turn of phrase, boast in his exaltation. What is there to boast in in the midst of suffering and trial? See, boast means to proclaim, to lift up. Well, it means that those who are suffering a trial of poverty ought to view their trial in light of the past, present, and future grace of God. Meaning, although I may be poor in this life, Christ has forgiven my sin, adopted me into his family. That's past grace. He continues to forgive me and is empowering me with his presence. That's present grace. And he has promised me eternal riches and an incorruptible inheritance in his kingdom. That's future grace. In other words, because of God's grace, I am so much more blessed than I deserve. I am rich even now in what I am going through. I am exalted in Christ. James 2.5, he expounds on this thought and puts it this way. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Think of the dichotomy in this text here. He calls the same person, the same group of people, poor in this world and heirs of the kingdom. He says, yes, you are both. And my, my question this morning is, which one is easier to remember in times of trial and tribulation in our life? Is it easier to remember that we're poor in the world or that we're heirs of the kingdom. Probably poor in this world, right? It's not hard to see the difficulties that are, that are in front of us. It's not hard to see how we measure up in this world and how things are going in this life. It's not hard to see the negative things that are taking place. But I'll tell you what can be a challenge and what can be very difficult to perceive in times of spiritual poverty is that it can be hard to remember how abundantly rich we are because of the grace of God. It can be hard to remember God's, God's past, present, and future grace. And I, and I say that past, present, and future because I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking grace is just a past work. Christ died on the cross to forgive my sins as if it ends right there. No, Christ died on the cross, forgives us our sins, but that opens up the manifold grace of God that we experience even in the present and even in the future. And we must remember that. We have his presence in our lives now. 
But even greater still, we have an eternity, an eternity to spend with him in paradise, a future that far outweighs in its beauty and splendor anything we could go through in this life. In the early 1900s, there was an English Bible teacher by the name of Arthur W. Pink, and he put it this way. He said, afflictions are light when compared with what we really deserve. They are light when compared with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, but perhaps their real lightness is best seen by comparing them with the weight of glory which is awaiting us. The Apostle Paul put it this way, he said, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's remembering this that enables us to boast in our exaltation. It is shifting our focus from our status in this world to our status in Christ. From what we have in this life to what Christ has given us in this life and the next. This is what it means to boast in our exaltation, to view our trial of poverty through the lens of God's glorious grace. And so the low ought to view their trial through the lens of God's grace that it may exalt them, that it may lift them up and encourage them. But what about the rich? What about the rich? Well, they also ought to view their trial through the lens of God's glorious grace. But what we see is that the effect is opposite, isn't it? That God's grace humbles them. Let's look at the passage again. It says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So it says, let the rich boast in his humiliation. So what does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of boasting in your exaltation. It means that we are boasting that God has brought us low. In other words, when we live in light of God's grace, we're reminded that we came to God sinful, deserving nothing but judgment, but that every good thing we have has been given to us because of his grace. That the true things of value in this world, on this earth, are not things at all, which will surely pass away. When we view our our trial of plenty through the lens of grace, it keeps us from thinking that we deserve credit for our accomplishments, that we're somehow inherently better than the poor because of what we have. It also allows us to be generous because we remember that our true treasure is in heaven and not in this world. So here's the main point. Here's the main point of, point of this whole message. What I hope we understand is that in both trials of poverty and trials of plenty, what, what we're learning is that the temptation is the same. The temptation really is the same. The temptation is to tie our hopes to the things of this world. And when we do this, we will be crushed by feelings of inferiority, frustration, depression, when we endure trials of poverty, because we will hate our lot in this life. 
but we will also struggle with feelings of pride, superiority, and self-trust when things are great because we love our lot in this life. And this is why, and I'll tell you, you can count on this, that the same person who will struggle with feelings of inferiority and, and envy, comparing themselves to others in trials of poverty, will be the same person who will struggle with feelings of pride and superiority and ego in trials of plenty because the root cause is the same. It's not the trial. It has nothing to do with being rich or poor. The problem in both cases is that the person has put their emotional well-being, their sense of identity, their sense of value in this world. That is the real problem. To the, to the extent that we tie our affections to the things of this world, that's the extent to which we will suffer in our trials. And I'll say that again. To the extent that we tie our affections to the things of this world is the extent to which we will suffer in our trials. Listen, trials are hard enough as it is. There, there's no way uh, as believers to, to weather trials without it emotionally wearing on us. It's difficult to go through difficult stuff. But the more that we have tied our affections to the things of this world, the more we amplify the suffering we experience in our trials. That's the wisdom of our passage. Because most trials involve losing something of this world or not getting something of this world that we want. And the more our hearts are entangled with that thing, the more our trial will affect us. This is why you can have two people, I don't know if you've ever seen, you can have two people go through the same thing and it affects them profoundly different, right? You can have one person that goes through something and, and it just crushes them and you can have another person go through the same thing and they weather it pretty well. You know, I, we had a guy, uh, when I was in college, we did a retreat up in Idlewild and we had a time where we were sharing with each other the, the, the experiences in our life that that most shaped us into who we are, the most significant things that we've, we've gone through that were really formative. And I remember this one guy was sharing, and he said, the thing that affected me most in this life was not making the high school basketball team. And I remember everybody sitting there like, wow. And I remember thinking to myself, people don't make sports teams all the time. And they, they get through it. How is this so debilitating? How is this such a huge trial? See, I was looking at the trial wondering how, how could this be such a big thing? Other people might not, might not see it that way. But what I didn't see is how much hope he had placed in that thing. How, how, how entangled his heart was with making the team. That's what made the trial as bad as it was. So trials will be difficult no matter what, but we amplify them by place, placing our ultimate hope and trust in the things of this world, in our status in this world, and how we're doing in this life. And the temptation is the same for trials and poverty and trials of plenty. But here's the thing. Here's the good news. So is the solution. The solution is the same. The, the word of wisdom that will help us navigate both trials is the same, as I've been saying, that we learn to view our trials through the lens of God's glorious grace. This is what will give us the ability to stand fast in trials, to anchor our hope to something secure, 
so that whether the world condemns me and beats me down in trials of poverty or whether the the world tries to lift me up and exalt me in trials of plenty, I am not swayed when I am grounded by the grace of God. I remember that this is all apart from any of my own doing and that God has lavished me with his goodness, past, present, and future. He has forgiven my sins in Christ. He's present with me now and has promised me a glorious inheritance that unlike the things of this world will never fade. This is an anchor for us in any trial that we experience. This perspective will give us life. It will exalt us in trials of poverty and bring us low when we need it in trials of plenty. So the question this morning is, are you poor this morning? Are you, are you enduring a, a trial of poverty? Let the grace of God exalt you. Let it remind you of your true value and the true riches you have because of Christ's work on the cross. Are you rich this morning? Are things going well? Is there no obvious area of need? Don't take it for granted. Don't let it puff you up in pride. Remember that like the poor, you are a sinner in need of God's grace. But God sent his only son to die in your place that you might reap his blessings and an inheritance incorruptible. And so no matter what our trial this morning, let's not tie our hopes, our ultimate dreams and sense of joy to this world, which can be given to us one moment and taken the next. Let's tie them to something fixed, something solid to Christ himself and the promises that he's given us. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for your grace, past, present, and future, Lord, that you sent your Son to die for us, Lord, to to live the life we should have lived and die the death we should have died. Lord, we thank you for your present grace, that you are with us now, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that you've given us your Word, that you've given us community, God, You have not left us here as as orphans on this earth in the midst of our, our trials, Lord. God, we thank you for your future grace, Lord, that you have promised us an eternity, an eternity of joy and happiness that we have never experienced before in your presence, Lord. We thank you for your grace this morning, God. We pray you would guard our hearts, guard our hearts in, in trials of poverty from thinking that We've been abandoned as your children from looking to this world and seeing what we don't have and measuring our value by that, Lord. But that we would remember to be exalted in our trial, Lord, to remember all that we've been given in you. Lord, help us in trials of of plenty, Lord, not to become arrogant or proud, Lord. That we would maintain a, a humble perspective that is given to us from your grace, Lord, understanding that everything of real value that we have has been given to us apart from anything that we've done for ourselves, Lord. You have provided it. God, I pray that whatever it is in this sermon that that needs to stick with us as we leave here individually, Lord, that, that you would allow that to happen, Lord. Allow us to retain it, to meditate on it, God. Speak to us during this time. 
Bring conviction by your spirit, but also encouragement by your spirit as we repent and look to you. Pray these things in Christ's name.